the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hart. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Jordan Harry. He's a memory and speed reading coach and in the past few years has taught over 10,000 people from 147 countries, speed reading, memory, and public speaking. When he was 10, he had a speech impediment, which left him struggling with speaking in public and reading. He now reads seven times faster than the average reader, which is 1,500 words per minute, is the CEO at Study Fast, an international public speaker, and delivers workshops to others, Help to help others, sorry, to unlock their potential to learn anything faster. And not forgetting, he is also a TEDx speaker, which has 1,000, 1, 1 million, 1.2 million views, and is also a mixed martial artist. So, welcome onto the show, Jordan. Thank you very much for having me. And I sometimes forget what the hell I do. <laughs> so I want to get a movie trainer. So, tremendous job there, tremendous job. So before, but beyond my initial introduction for you, Jordan, is there any little bit of a nugget that I may have missed that you'd like to tell to my audience? I have an awesome beard. I mean, if they're watching the video, they can probably see it. But um, no, apart from that, um, if it's an international audience, you can definitely tell I'm British with my accent. Um, apart from that, I'm sure everyone will learn a little bit more on this podcast. And I encourage, you know, if you're interested in knowing more about what I do, who I am, to connect afterwards. But, James, it's over to you. So in terms of, uh, we, we hit the bat straight away. How yeah. do you go from, obviously, having this fear, and you could probably put it to most people with public speaking, yeah. to go in terms of going in to be able to, being able to read that to that, what, what is above average in terms of reading perspective? So to begin with, yeah, the speech impediment, um, I had a lisp, which some people might know, know what a lisp is, but it's pretty much a lazy tongue. I couldn't pronounce words that start with an S or an F. And so many people think, well, that doesn't sound like a huge hindrance. But what you'll find is if you imagine every English word with an S or an F, and especially being at a young age, kids can be malicious. I was bullied to a degree, nothing you know, horrendous. But enough to, for me anyway, not to want to put my hand up in class. Not for me to go up to new people. It wasn't for me to even speak in front of an audience. And because I couldn't pronounce the words correctly, I didn't quite understand them. For anyone who's learning a new language, I'm learning Spanish at the moment. If you can't pronounce the words, well, one, you don't know what it means. And two, no one's going to understand you. So my mum, being a mama's boy, took me to speech therapy uh, when I was younger. But what I didn't realise was the impact it had on my reading speed. Um, I imagine for many of the listeners and people watching, they probably didn't know that they could read faster, let alone improve their memory. And it was only when I got to uni 
that I watched a TED talk, and I haven't seen this often, on why you should read a book a day. And whilst I'm watching this, two things run in my mind. Bloody hell. Can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Bloody hell, how on earth do you read a book a day? And number two, I'm going to give a TED talk one day. But I don't know what it would be on. And so with that motivation, I went on this journey of going onto Google and typing in how to read faster, speed readers. I traveled a lot. I spent a lot of money, a lot of time playing the poor student card to get onto these workshops, to learn from these productivity, these memory, these speed reading coaches. And within, uh, I would say within a year, so this is the great thing, you can increase your ability to read faster within a couple of hours. What's important is reading, like anything, it's a muscle. And if we don't use it, you will lose it. And once I reached 1,500 words per minute, I then saw my friends wanting to know, how can I read that fast? And very fortunately, being at the University of Bath, they had a TEDx event going on. I was like, this is my moment. I thought I'd be 16 with a couple of grey hairs giving the TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting back looking at my career. But it happened within a year. And I gave a talk on how to read a book a day. And, you know, a combination of timing, the title, uh, the content, really caught people's attention. And um, even though there were only 10 people in that audience, two of them I brought, <laughs> five of them were the organisers, I thought, why should these 10 people get any less value? And um, thankfully, it was recorded. And I gave a talk as if there was one million people in the room. And long and behold, over one million people have, and touch wood, will continue to get value from it. But does it... Does it- and this is a point question for me more specifically, Jordan, does being passionate about what you're reading help that, that speed or not really? Definitely. You know, for myself, I've been recorded at 1,497. So it's a little lie on the website. We just found it out. Three words. Um, words It's not a big deal. (laughs) So when I read at 1,497 words, to be precise, I can't read at that speed when it comes to a biology book. You know, this is really key. Context is king. I can read at that speed when it comes to memory, to language learning, to martial arts, to business, because I understand the vocabulary used. But to put it in perspective, today I was sitting with a friend and he was talking about opioids. And I, don't, I didn't even know what an opioid was. I still don't really know what an opioid is. And... That stunted me. So I actually had to ask him. So let's say you were timing me reading that. The time it took for me to search up what an opioid is and come back to the book, I probably would have been reading at 500 words per minute, which is still double, you know, the average reader. But to answer your question, interest and also understanding of the content does affect your reading speed, amongst other things, you know, motivation, fatigue, environment, um, we could talk about that forever. But obviously going beyond that, Jordan, also does it help when you, you obviously know the lingo, the language, uh, you're passionate about what you're reading. Are you yeah. able to, from a, um, what's the word I want to use, from a memory standpoint, because you know the vocabulary, are you able to a certain extent skip over the words, uh, be it 
your what's the word that I'm going to use? At times when you're writing something, your 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 brain is obviously working faster than you're actually typing. So sometimes you'll miss the words. Is it the same? Is it the same aspects in terms of actually when you're reading? Can you do the same thing? Yes, hundred percent. So the techniques I've taught um, with reading can be transferred to any language, and that's often one of the first questions. Is you know, can I use these speaking techniques in Spanish? Hundred percent. As long as you're a proficient, a proficient Spanish speaker. Because your reading speed is limited by your vocabulary. So one of the things I have on my phone, and I'm not an affiliate because it's a free app, is Word of the Day. And it's a really cool, simple app. You download it. It has it in French, Spanish, and English. So it's great for if you want to learn a new language or if you want to expand your, I guess, your native tongue. And so for myself, the bigger my vocabulary in English, the faster I'll be able to read because my brain processes of understanding what that word means happens a lot quicker as opposed to being stumped by a word like opioid. I don't know what that means. I have to go search it up. So you can be limited in English if your vocabulary is limited and you can be limited in another language. But the reading techniques are transferable. But what strategy do you, do you actually employ to be able to improve that? Be it is it stuff that you have it had implemented on yourself as a child, and then you look to give people a, a toolkit per se to be able to facilitate their own improvement and, and their own learning, because you obviously you can pick and choose then which which you think uh, is going to be best suited to you. Great question, and um, one that many people don't actually ask because it's the practical stuff. Like, what techniques do we need? And I know your listeners are like, "Come on, come on, come on, give me, give me, give me." So, to answer the first part, I don't use any of the techniques I learned as a child because that was elementary level of reading. We won't get geeky, but there are different stages of reading. Many people who are listening to this are past elementary level. I work with many corporate professionals, athletes, students. So the techniques you can use, you don't want to watch my TED talk, I can give you them now, is the most, so one of the things you can use right now that's super practical is using a physical guide because your eyes don't know how fast or slow they're reading. Just like in athletics and the distance races, they'll set a pace around to set the pace and then they'll drop out so you know the speed. What you can use right now is, you probably got told as a child, don't use your finger whilst you're reading. Yeah, I encourage everyone to kind of go back to your childlike ways. And whilst you're reading, with your finger, put your fingertip just underneath the sentence you're reading and run it along horizontally. Sounds so simple. But what you'll find is, if you find you're getting tired, using a physical guide, such as your finger, as small as it may be, that physical movement is enough to keep you motivated to keep going because you've got the touch of the paper, that's one. Number two is the actual increase in your heart rate. I know it sounds ridiculous, that moving your hand, but most people are passive readers. You know, you just sit there and eat, and then you find tired by the second page. But you have a physical action that will increase your heart rate. Three, part of your brain that controls body movement controls memory. So what you're doing by actually moving whilst reading, even though you're just moving your finger across the page, 
is you're increasing the blood flow to the same part of your brain, the hippocampus, that controls coordination. It's also responsible for deciding what gets stored into your long-term memory. So your finger ticks a lot of boxes, attention, memory, reading speed. It doesn't have to be your finger, it could be a pen, but make sure the lid is on the pen. And if you want to test yourself, move at a faster speed where your comprehension begins to drop. And what you'll find is you'll go through this big word like super compensation effect, where, to put it in simple terms, when you go to the gym, you get on the bench and you bench 100 kilograms and you struggle to get it up just for one rep. You tear the muscle fibers, you come back to the gym a couple of days later, and you find you can get that 100 kilograms up a little bit easier. A week later, you can now do two reps. Two weeks later, four reps. It's the same with reading. We have muscles behind our eyes. We have four muscles that control our eyes. And what you'll find is when you read faster than your comprehension, so faster than your brain can keep up with, is it will drop to begin with because you're not used to this speed, just like you're not used to the weight. But once you take a break and you come back and you go at the same speed again, it seems relatively normal. And your brain is now caught up with your eyes. I encourage you to read what you've just practiced on because you want to comprehend a whole chapter and pick up on the next chapter. But that little drill, so simple, just moving your finger faster than your eyes can keep up. And then taking a break, coming back to it, and rereading the text. You will notice how fast you can read, but also how much you take in that second time out. And that strategy, John, for, for using a physical book, would it work in the digital age, obviously, with a um, tablet, computer yeah. screen? Could you employ the same technique or be... You're going to have to be careful as well because you might start skipping pages. But could that same technique be employed in obviously something that's digital as well? It can. So I know with the Kindle, so I have a Kindle, um, it doesn't respond to like my pen lid. So I can literally chuck a lid on my pen. And because it's not a, just like your phone, you know, it has to be, I don't know what it is, but it has to be a certain texture, you know, for your iPhone to register the screen. So same with the Kindle, I can use a pen lid and I can scroll over. And when it's on a computer, some people might not want to scratch up their computer screen, is you can just use your cursor. And literally using your little mouse cursor, using that to underline each line as you read, or scrolling down the page, covering up the sentence as you're reading. Because like I said, the idea is we don't know how fast or slow we're reading. And then this is an interesting one per se, and it's, it, it does happen to me occasionally. I think family more because they're, I always call myself a passive reader. They're more engrossed to books when they go on holiday. But what, what is this notion when you obviously repeating the sentence over again? Does it come down to f- that you're in a momentary lapse of fatigue then? So that's known as regression. I'm all guilty of it, myself included. If I don't use my strategies, I'll relapse. And that's a really key thing is memory champions, speed reading champions, they're no different to you and I. They might have a couple more grey hairs. But if they don't use the strategies, they will forget. And what happens is it is spot on. It's a lapse of concentration. 
whilst you're reading, you're like, hmm, what am I having for dinner tonight? And before you know it, you've got to the end of the page, and you're like, what on earth did I just read? So what's really key to avoid that is by having questions whilst why am I reading this? What through? You move from being a passive reader. So that's known as rereading. So we spend 5% of our time actually rereading what we've already read, which when you add that up, it's a significant amount of time reading. How can we reduce that? Very simply, it's being an active reader. And one of the best things children do is they ask the question, why? Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to go there? And when we're reading often, we know this book is interesting, but when we're reading, we're passive. We're just looking for the information to come to us. That's not how it works. If you look for it, you'll find it. So you need to think, what are the key dates I'm looking for? What is the key information around memory that's going to help me? You know, depending on what the book's about. What is an opioid? And so on and so forth. So whilst you have these questions in mind, you can be an active reader as opposed to passive. So not only will you be able to read longer and faster, because you won't be rereading, but you'll also find better answers, because for many of us, we think having a good answer is better than a good question. It's actually the other way around. To get an answer, we need good questions. But then let me ask you this then, Jordan, then. Coming from that perspective that you've just given, wouldn't that be a distractor for what you were talking about earlier in terms of people um, being distracted by what they're having for dinner and then forget what they've read? Interesting. So whilst having the questions front of mind, you're going to be looking for something specific whilst you're being So you will have confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is where you will notice certain things over others. So we all have biases. For example, you might remember dates more than I do. I might pay more attention to locations. But until you know what you're looking for, you don't know what to find. It's the simple thing, you know, exams, teachers tell you, read the question, make sure you understand the question, and then approach the text. So many people are reading with the hope that the answers will just pop out to them. So having a question in mind whilst reading won't distract you. In fact, it will help you pick out the key information that you need. But that's down to an individual basis, you know, depending on the book, depending on what that person wants to learn from that book as well. And often chapters will tell you what it's going to be about. So you can use that to help you. You know, the chapter might be about um, how can memory help you learn new language? Okay. And that's all you need in your head whilst you're reading. How can memory help you? And, you know, whilst you just have that in the back of your mind whilst you're reading. How does memory help? How does memory help me help? But I would just start to pick out the words of memory, language. But I would disagree with you to a certain extent with a question because you can pick out certain words 
and this comes down to experience, probably to a certain extent, how reading properly a question, you pick out certain words that they're very descriptive, um, be it, I don't know, describe, uh, explain, um, what would be another one you'd hit, see in school? And it's very descriptive, but okay, you, you, you learn that as you get older. It's, it's asking me a, a, a specific question, whereas I think when you're younger, you try and answer it um, from your own perspective, how you envision it wants to be answered, whereas it's, it's asking more specific and exact answer. Okay, um, repeat the question. I'm not quite sure what your question is, ironically. So yeah, repeat the question again. But- In terms of coming from a question perspective, there is sometimes where it will be the words within the question will dictate how you answer a, a specific question, be it um, explain, describe, and the words will be in the actual question per se, yeah. as opposed to a question that you're implying. Definitely. So, you know, now we get onto the topic of reading for academic purposes or reading for pleasure, which then, you know, the questions, of course, change completely. Because if you're reading for academic purposes, you have an objective and you will be probably told what the objective is. Or you'll have already a predisposition of what you need to find from this text. What's when you're reading for pleasure? Most people pick up a book because there's some sort of interest there. And it's down to the individual. But in terms of, and this is where it probably overlaps to a certain extent, and I use myself as the example because it's probably the easiest way to do it. Does my way of thinking dictate how I'm going to read in a... um, Oh, gosh, the words elude me. A more non-educational environment and like it's the wrong choice of words but be it because it's predicated on be the style of learning or or more i wouldn't call it a chore but sometimes it was because you've got to dictate it towards your academia you then take those skill sets over into obviously the day-to-day reading and, and, and to a certain extent is probably why i don't like reading as much so 100%, you know, education does have a big role in our enjoyment for reading. Many of us, you know, we have to read. And we have to read something we might not enjoy. Um, hopefully when you go to university, you're studying something that you enjoy because you've chosen it. Um, but then for when you're reading for pleasure, that completely changes. And for example, James, I'm reading a book on Fluent Forever, language learning. Now, I'm at a different level to you, you know, in terms of language. In terms of my understanding of language learning, in terms of my understanding of Spanish, you might be learning a different language. So whilst we're reading the book, I probably will skip over the chapter of um, male and feminine verbs because I have a great understanding of that. But because I've skipped over it, I'm probably going to miss things that I could have picked up. Now, that, of course, is a whole other kind of Easter egg that we'd have to unpack. But it is all down to the individual um, and their current level of understanding and their desired level of understanding. So approaching a book, me and you would approach it differently based on what we already know about the topic. 
Therefore, I may remember key information more so than yourself because I've already got an understanding and I lay it on top. Or maybe I don't and you have a higher level. Therefore, I may struggle to actually retain that information because it's my first exposure to it. So the questions I would ask would be different to yourself. But that notion of obviously skipping over a chapter from a language component now it surprises me because obviously... Uh, be it the Romance, Romance language, French, Italian, Spanish, have got his and hers, uh, yeah. the orientation towards verbs, whereas with English, we don't. Correct. Yeah, or, correct. So, what does it come down to your, to your experience with, that, with a language that you've skipped over it? Correct. So with Spanish, I understand the male and feminine verbs. So therefore, that chapter for me, as an example, I would need to cover. If I was you know, time restricted, I'd jump over that. Yeah, I understand that. Or for some people who are learning English, they won't need to cover that because we don't have male and feminine verbs. So that chapter, why would they read it if their sole purpose is to improve their English? They could just jump ahead. I'm sure many people would gain value from reading that chapter. But when we look at our time, this is what speed reading is all about. How do you get the maximum amount of information in a minimal amount of time? So when we look at a book, nine times out of ten when we're talking non-fiction, most of the value of the book can be found on, let's say, ten pages. But an author can't sell ten pages. They have to fill it up with stories and antidotes and waffle. But most of it can be found in the first and last chapter. That You can't sell a book like that. There has to be some contextual stuff in the middle. And when we look at it from a memory perspective, we remember stories much better than facts and figures. So some people do get their heads around a story when the information is put into context. So like, as I said, with speed reading, it's a superpower that you can turn on and off. So for example, skipping a chapter would be useful for an individual depending on the reason why they're reading this book. I've answered that question. Yeah, that answers it perfectly. But obviously a film can do that because it will show the best bit to be able to sell itself. Did you say a film? Yeah, a film would do that. It'd be, it would show its, uh, what, what, how, how you want to call it, be everywhere in the country you're in, preview, trailer. Generally yeah. that's the, at times when it's, well, medi- we'll call it a mediocre film. That'd be the best bit in the film. It's like, well, I might as well just watch that. And that was it. I understand. And, you know, I love this analogy of you wouldn't put a film on two times. You know, you set the time to watch a film. You know, two hours, I'm going to sit down and watch a film for two hours. Hopefully no one puts a film on two times speed. Even when they're in a rush, you just don't watch it. Or you watch as much as you can, you come back to it. It's the same with reading. Many people don't want to read faster. Many people enjoy reading and taking their time and picturing the story. But for a corporate professional, for an entrepreneur, for an athlete, where their time is limited and they want to learn a new skill, or they've got to go into the meeting within an hour, they have no idea what the meeting's about, and they've got to get through 50 pages, that's where speed reading is a fantastic tool. That's where skipping a a section or chapter which you're well versed on becomes useful because why would you reread something you already know about when in 10 minutes time you've got to go in a meeting 
and you've got to get overall understanding. So with that movie analogy, yeah. Just like reading, sometimes you want to slow down. Sometimes you need to speed it up. But does it come down to, 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 to probably this basis and this poignant statement now, is if you are trying to escape, be it you're going to read slower or, or you're trying to do it for purpose? Yeah. Just say that one more time so I know the question. Does it does it come down to what or I'll call it what state you're in then? Is it is it for escapism or is it for purpose when you're re- the different types of reading? And this comes down to the questions. You know, why are you reading this book? You know, are you reading this book because it's high Potter and you want to fall asleep at night? You know, and so you're reading it at night and you're reading a fiction book, which I recommend the listeners do. I encourage you not to read non-fiction at night. Why? Because your brain is going to be stimulated and ticking over whilst you're trying to sleep. Your brain's still going to be thinking about masculine and feminine verbs. Whilst for many people, studies have shown, you can improve your sleep by reading fiction at night because your brain is at a lower level cognitive function. So 100%, it depends on your physical state and depends on the purpose, your motivation. Why do you want to read this? For example, I always use this just in time as opposed to just in case information. Because there's millions of books published every year and it doesn't matter how fast you read, how much time you have, you're not going to get through every book on Spanish. And you're not going to get through every book on business. What you do need to do is look at, okay, next month I have to give a talk in front of 500 people. What are the 20 books that are going to give me 80% of my results between now and next month? There's no reason why you need to learn about how to have a child unless you're having a child, you know, within a couple of weeks or months. But if you're having a child in years to come, it doesn't make sense to start reading about childbirth, you know. So I hope that really kind of nails your question and also the viewers because we can get overwhelmed with information overload, whether that be in one specific area or whether because we want to learn a sport, we want to learn a language, we want to learn a musical instrument, where do you start? And it's all about scheduling your priorities and not letting your priorities schedule you. Many people wake up in the morning and they're reactive mode. They check their emails. They're responding to other people's problems when actually you need to be like, no, the first hour of the day, I'm going to learn Spanish. I'm going to read the newspaper. You're going to do what you want to do in the first hour before becoming responsive. And, um, you know, we're moving more into time management, but this covers learning. You need to schedule your priorities and understand what's going to give me 80% of my results, 20% of my efforts. There's that Pareto's law. You might be familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an economist term that 80% of the world's wealth is owned by 20% of the population. And that principle applies to near enough everything. That 20% of your actions in your relationship with your partner come from 20% of your actions. And same with reading. 20% 
of the book's content has 80% of the content that is valuable to you. And of course, that's not like a, a strict objective number, but it's a rule of thumb. But coming back to that, that one of um, re- reading specifically before going to bed now, Jordan, does it come down to the fact that you, you're going to use your imagination if we use Harry Potter as an example because it's the yeah. way of going about it big book as well <laughs> you're able to well not all of them but <laughs> but some of them are but um, coming back to what I was saying does it come down to the fact that okay you're at a lower level, level cognitively but you're also starting to invigorate um, your brain to be able to relax and obviously start using memories or, or actually envisioning you live being one of those characters as opposed to on the other side, would you say in fiction, would you start to decide to ask more questions of yourself? So spot on. So whilst you're reading fiction, um, you necessarily won't be asking questions like what are the key dates I need to remember? You know, with fiction, nine times out of 10, people aren't looking to actively remember you know, naturally, we remember stories much better because we can visualize it. You know, no one, I say no one, unless you're an English lit major, won't be going the next day and writing up about what they've just read. It comes down to purpose. Most people read for pleasure, just like you watch a movie, and you don't have any other alternative motives but enjoyment. So that cognitive level, you're not asking these questions whilst you're reading fiction. You're looking to just enjoy the story, picture yourself as the character, and switch your brain off. And you don't mind if you read 20 pages or if you read two pages and you go to bed. The main objective, some people just want to read until they fall asleep. And it's a great tool as opposed to using, you know, melatonin drugs, which, of course, put your body into a sleep state and then reduces your body ability to create melatonin. But then from that perspective as well, Jordan, why, why is it, and this is obviously only your opinion now, that some people will detract from books for a learning, I won't say learning purpose because it's probably not the right choice of words, but to be able to get their imagination going, the storytelling going, and, 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 and utilize a film to be able to do that instead. So the question is, why would some people want to do that before they go to bed? Um, why, why would, per se, and I'll chunk myself in, in, in those group of individuals because it's, it's, it's true at some cases uh, more than others. Why would you steer more towards yeah. a film as opposed to a book? Did you say a film as opposed to a book? Mm. Oh, sorry. Um, maybe there's miscommunication. Um, in terms of, would could you get the same effects if someone was watching a film as opposed to reading a book? Well, if that's a question, or, no, because you can more likely use your imagination with a book. But 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 to be is it because is it comes down to a certain head that is simpler? You're in a more relaxed state in a cinema than, than watching a book. Got you. Once again, so is it a case of reading a book helps you sleep more than watching a film? 
that what you're asking is like how what's the difference between the two yes excellent so we're going to get into my geeky because I read a lot about a lot so sleep science so most people will be aware of not using your screens before you go to bed because the light keeps you up but not necessarily just the light alone it's a specific light called blue light which is emitted by our devices now if the viewers have uh, an iPhone, they can literally go to their settings and type in the search bar night mode. I don't know if you use it, James, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful tool. It is. It is. Fast. My computer is very, very good at that. Brilliant. And for the computer, you can download a thing called Flux, F-L-U-X, and all three. And what it does, it makes sure screen go orange. The reason is blue light emitted keeps your melatonin production down, which of course is not ideal when you're trying to sleep because your body thinks it's still daylight outside. So the reason why people recommend a book, because even though you've got night mode on, your eyes are still being exposed to some source of light. With a book, there's no light uh, emittance. And having a nice little like night light in the background won't be the same effect as a device staring you directly in the face. So I highly encourage people to read a paper book before sleep, as would opposed it, to watching. Would also the stimuli be lower than with the book to some extent? Yeah, spot on. The stimulus of reading a book requires a lot less cognitive function than watching a film, purely because you know we go into simple things: the colours, the movement, the sounds. You know, there's more of our responses that are needed to absorb a film. We don't need our auditory senses to take in a book. We just need our visual senses and our visual spatial to hold the book. Whilst the film takes in a lot more, which would stimulate us greater. Um, And on top of that, the eyes. You can actually fatigue the eyes by reading whilst watching a film. You know, you can literally look at film, fix one spot on the screen. Be interesting to actually see what studies and how our eyes track a screen whilst we're watching a film. I don't actually know that yet, but I'll go back and find that out. But whilst reading, our eyes are moving across the page. And therefore, those muscles are getting tired, and that's why people rub their eyes and they feel sleepy whilst reading. next question then Jordan from a memory perspective now to actually take on board that information which is a better tool to utilize is it reading is it or, or an auditory, auditory book or audible book should I say so for many forms of people who travel and work throughout the day audiobooks are fantastic I'm a big believer in them and they can be a great tool for increasing your reading speed because you can put them on two times and get your brain used to consuming information faster. Now, I don't know the studies that have been done. I don't know if there have been studies, so unfortunately I can't answer this. Between listening to an audiobook before bed and reading and what's the effects it's had on someone's sleep, my argument would be if you listen to an audiobook, many times you can fall asleep with it on, um, you know, have to get to a point where you turn it off. Um, I find for myself anyway, I've, I've fallen asleep on the coach whilst listening to my audio, but 
I'm like, damn it, I don't even know where I got to. And even that little, there's a little transition where you're not in REM sleep, deep sleep, where you can still hear it in the background, but your brain isn't consuming it. And so there's a massive issue that I've had and audiobooks full stop have had, is how do you acknowledge when someone's still listening or not? And I have a nightmare of then waking up and being like, where the hell do I get up to? Because your memory is hazy because you entered this light sleep mode. You didn't quite enter van. So So once you've woken up, it's difficult to know exactly where the audiobook stopped. So what I would say without looking at the studies is I encourage you to read because, of course, when you're tired, you can just shut it and go to sleep. The audiobook, myself and the other listeners have experienced, you're listening to it, you wake up, you're like, well. So from that standpoint, I would say stay away from the audiobooks just because of that where on earth did I finish? I get to. So you, you might miss things out or find once you start listening for 10 minutes, you're oh man, I've listened to this part before. So yeah, and without any other science backing me up, just pure practical experience, reading would probably be the best form as opposed to audiobook because you might just miss information as you doze off. And my penultimate question to you then, Jordan, is... Um, you know, this inner belief system towards people have this disposition and I will take the brunt of it myself because I'm, I'm speaking to you first. Is it a dis- disbelief that I can't improve my reading? I don't like reading. Is it something that's deep rooted, but you believe can be changed? mindset is so powerful we talk about self-talk as an athlete yourself you know how powerful self-talk can be if you can or you think you can't you're probably right as the saying goes and the simplest way many people can relate many people think they have a bad memory I'm bad at remembering things I'm always forgetting stuff but I guarantee you James you've remembered some people's names but you've forgotten others you don't have a bad memory no one has a bad memory. A trained or untrained memory. And the reason more so than others is because that person was attractive or they were important. You know, we come down to motivation. If you're motivated, if you think this is important, you'll remember it. If I said to you, James, by the end of this, remember the name Tony and I'll give you £500. Well, about £500, you'll remember the name Tony. <laughs> I hope you don't know. <laughs> but, you know, this is really true and evident, and we'll see this within, and I've only told you it once, without a picture of a guy, without any information about this person, you'll remember that one word, purely because your brain, the amygdala within the hippocampus, which is responsible for dopamine, knows that if you remember it, you'll get 500 pounds. And that's the motivation. And so the main thing is, if you believe you can't improve your reading ability, you're not going to be open-minded to the reading techniques. And this is one thing I always teach in my workshops and my courses, 
is we always start with mindset and we get anyone's objections out straight away. Has anyone been on a course before? Has anyone struggled with reading? Is anyone dyslexic? One of my speedrunning instructors is dyslexic. So there's definitely ways around this. And people's self-talk is the program they run and their brains is the supercomputer. So you really do need to watch how you're talking to yourself day by day. You know, what is one of the most internal questions you ask yourself? And this is a really cool little tip I can leave people with, is Will Smith was interviewed. And one of his internal questions he asked himself, because we talk to ourselves every second, his question to himself every day is, how can I make this moment more magical? How powerful is that? Like, imagine every day, in every hour, you say to yourself, how can I make this moment right now more magical? And then think what your actions will do to answer that. Whether that be with your spouse. How can I make that dinner more magical with my spouse? Whether it be in training. Whether it be at work. So that internal dialogue you have with yourself really does reflect your external actions. So if anything that anyone remembers or does after this is really assess how you talk to yourself every day. Because that will impact post life. Do you want to learn a new language? Learn a new language. How do you go about learning a new language? And you will then seek out the answers to those questions. So hopefully, James, to answer your question in an all-winded fashion, 100% self-talk does impact not just your ability to read or to remember, but everything in your life. And my final question, Jordan, before we wrap up the episode, is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Excellent. We're asking the memory trainer to remember what he spoke about. So number one, remember my story, if you can. Um, Go check out my TED Talk on how to read a book a day. That will give you the answers to how to read a book a day. Number two, start using a pacer, a physical object that your eyes can follow whilst reading. Number two, to avoid, number three, to avoid regression, have active questions in your mind whilst reading. And as we mentioned just now, have questions every day. One of the most powerful ones is why. Why am I doing this right now? Many of us, our habits are pretty much how we live. We're creatures of habits. If we protect our habits, our habits will be. So question why, how, which we spoke about for quite a time. Read before bed to improve your quality of sleep. So once again, Jordan, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to bring some value and some geeky knowledge. And if everyone wants to know more about memory speed reading, search my name, Jordan Harry, and let me know you came from this podcast. I'll be sure to give you free access to one of my courses. as a thank you for listening this long. I really appreciate that. And thanks again. It's been my pleasure having you on. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Jordan and I know what you've thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at Jordan Harry, that's J-O-R-D-A.
A-N-N-H-A-R-R-Y-Y and at James O Roberts 11 and you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And finally, do check out his TEDx talk on YouTube on how to read a book a day. And as always, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab free resources. Make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.